my affirmations, the one that I say every day is I am worthy for a really long time. I felt unworthy of everything. Well, hello there. It's Dr. Nicoletta with the Millennial Doc Podcast. I'm a physician, dermatologist, lifestyle entrepreneur, mama in medicine, and confidence success strategist. Each week, I'll bring you inspiring guests, lifestyle, relationship, and business tips to help you consistently take action, act confident, and live an abundant life. Step out with confidence and get ready. Welcome to episode three. Today, we talk all about overcoming fears and mastering self-confidence. When I ask so many of my listeners what they struggle with the most in school or starting residency or just any new adventure or job, it's confidence. It really may seem like something so easy, yet this is something we all have to work on every day. So I am really excited to have our guest, Sasha Davis, host of the Confidence Coach podcast. She helps women overcome their fears and master self-confidence in business and in life. The big reason I wanted to talk with her today is because of how her confidence strategies can help you in your life. So get ready. This episode is full of so much value, and I think you are really going to love it. All right, guys. I'm so excited. Sasha Davis. Is that how you say it? Sasha? Sasha. Sasha. (laughs) I love how it's spelled. It's super pretty. It's different. (laughs) So welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to speak with you today and get to know you more. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Prepping for a conference this weekend. So it's been a productive week, I'll say. But no, it's been an awesome week. Awesome. So seriously, guys, to my listeners, you will really love this episode because we will talk all about overcoming fears and mastering self-confidence. So, you know, I'd love to start this show with just some rapid fire questions for a fun way to have my listeners get to know you quickly. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Okay, so where did you grow up? I was actually born in Minneapolis. I grew up in a small town outside of Minneapolis called Farmington. I lived there until I was about eight years old. And then I moved to Northwest Iowa. So I've been in the Midwest ever since, like small town, country girl, since I've been about, yeah, since about eight years old. Awesome. I actually grew up in Ohio, so I love Midwest forever, right? (laughs) (laughs) Heck yeah. Heck yeah. (laughs) Do you say soda or pop? I say pop, but if you go anywhere else, people say soda or they say Coke. I remember the first time I went to Florida, and this is kind of a sidetrack, but I was like 12 years old, and she asked, you know, what kind of soda do we drink? Or I asked what kind of pop do they have, and she's like, are you from the Midwest? Yeah, I totally get that, too. I I get that as well. I I do pop, too. So anyways, (laughs) where do you, so you live now in Iowa, right? Yes. What is your favorite quote? Favorite quote is, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. Very good. Awesome. What is one of your superpowers? Confidence and taking action. And then recent book you read or one of your favorite books? Favorite book I would have to say is Rhonda Brines Burns. I can't remember how you say it. The Secret that kind of put me into this personal development spin about 10 or 12 years ago. Oh my God, it's probably been longer than that actually. And book that I'm reading right now is Mel Robbins' Take Control of Your Life. Awesome. I actually wrote that in my notes. I want to talk to you about the secret. So we'll talk about (laughs) that. Who is someone who has changed your life? Her name is Heather Chauvin, and she is also a coach and a leader. I met her about three years ago now, and 
she has been a tremendous influence, inspiration, and somebody who just pushes me to be my best self every single time I talk to her. Well, awesome. We all need that. Yes. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments so far? I would have to say going to college and then graduating college. I was first-generation college grad, actually first-generation high school graduate, but I didn't feel like high school was really challenging, so I don't, I don't know, not to, well, who, who cares? I'll probably offend somebody, but, like, I didn't see high school as an accomplishment, but, like, going to college and, and completing that, I felt like that was a big accomplishment. Totally. I mean, when you're the first one to go first, you know, whatever it is, for me, I'm the first doctor in my family. So it feels like accomplishment, you know, going yep. into grad school. So what is something you do every day to build your confidence? Ooh, this one is I try to do something that scares me. So, you know, it can be as little as pushing my body physically. Well, not so much anymore now that I'm pregnant, but like pushing myself to reach new people or reach higher levels. I, I try to use fear as a compass. And so if it scares me, I'm like, Ooh, I need to do that. Aside from that, I would say definitely self-care. Awesome. So self-care actually leads to confidence. We'll talk about them more. Yes. Okay. So I don't think many of my listeners know you. So I love to know a little bit of your backstory. So you're a mom, wife, coach, and instructor. You help women overcome fear and gain their confidence, which is seriously what I have been asked by many of my followers and listeners, just how to work on confidence more, you know? So Anyways, we have a lot of healthcare millennials who are tuning in, and, and some of them are medical students, some are resident doctors, you know, whatever field you are in medicine, I feel like a lot of imposter syndrome kind of goes on. And so just talk about your backstory, basically. Well, I have kind of a rough backstory. We'll just put it there. I won't get too much into it, but there was a lot of shame, a lot of abuse, a lot of, you can't do this, you can't do that, like, and so I, I always had this chip on my shoulders, like I was just going to prove everybody wrong, like, oh, you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to show you wrong or prove you wrong. And I spent majority of my younger years living that life, you know, and I got, <laughs> I started to take kind of a downward spiral because I didn't feel like I was worthy. And I, I really liked to self-sabotage myself. Anytime I had any sort of success, I was like, ooh, this is weird. This is uncomfortable. And so you know, I got into drinking, I got into drugs, I, you know, spent some time in and out of jail and kind of had coming to Jesus for a lack of a better term and said to myself, you know, I can't keep going down this path, you know, and people around me were like, I can see that you have all this potential and you have all this energy and <laughs> you have the world at your fingertips, you know, like, why are you using all of this energy for bad? And so I was like, man, if I could put this energy into becoming a better person, like whose life could I impact? If I could just change one person's life. And so I would tell myself the story. I never thought of myself as a normal person. Not once. I've always thought that, you know, I was kind of a leader. I was kind of like outside the box. If somebody said, you have to do something, I'm like, why? And when they couldn't answer that question, I would just be like, well, I'm not going to do it just because you told me to do it. I need to know why I'm doing these things. And people didn't like that. And so I found very quickly that I wasn't a sheep. You know, I wasn't just following the pack. I was more of a pack leader. And some people really enjoyed that. Other people did not. I triggered a lot of people, but I just 
I got to the point where it was a lot of stress put on myself. And so I'd wake up every day and tell myself, what would a normal person do? What would a normal person do? A normal person graduates high school and then a normal person goes to college and then a normal person gets a job working nine to five and gets a family and a house and kids. And so I lived a lot of my life based on that, but I felt that I was lacking a sense of freedom and that I was living within this box that society had put me in. And I found that I was very angry about it, you know, because I wasn't fulfilling, I don't even like to say passion and purpose because I didn't even know what the hell those things were until, you know, about five years ago, maybe six, you know, a handful of years ago. But, you know, I climbed the corporate ladder very, very quickly, found myself in one of those, you know, very desired corner offices. And I always just told myself, oh, if I have this, I'll be happy. If I have this, I'll be happy. And the truth was, is that I was living for everybody else and not for myself. I don't remember the last time that I had said, Sasha, what do you want? And while I had been very adventurous, you know, I've done the vacations, I played roller derby, I've, you know, I have a motorcycle, I have horses, I have all these things, but there was still something missing. And so that's what I went on the journey to go find a few years ago. That's amazing. I really understood what you're going through when you're saying that you're living for everyone else, but not for yourself. And that kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you want to mention about people pleasing and how that's also, I don't know, it just, you're not living again. If you're just pleasing people, you're not putting yourself first. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because outside of the work arena, I was really good at putting myself first, probably too much. Like I just didn't really give a shit about anybody else's needs. But then inside the workplace, I felt very small. And I don't know if it was because I had climbed the ladder quickly when I was young, or if it because I was a female, or if it was because I was like a blonde female at that. So people make tons of assumptions on like why you climb the ladder. And I think I took a lot of that to heart. And when people were like, oh, you should do this, or oh, you should do that. I got in the habit of just constantly saying yes. And then Mm -hmm. I was burnt out and I was, kid you not, working a 12 hour day was normal, you know, but for the most part, I would, excuse me, get up at, you know, four or 5 a.m. and the phones and the emails did not stop until 11 p.m. I was constantly working, constantly hustling. I was burnt out. I was exhausted. I was angry and mean and resentful to everybody around me. I was not living in alignment. I was so off. It was just like looking back, I can't believe I lived so long in that pattern. In that, yeah. Where did you, so you were in corporate, what come or where did you work for? Well, I won't say the company, but it was corporate manufacturing and sales. So oh, okay. I, I, it's funny because I went to school for psychology, which is where like the instructor and, and the therapy and the mental health stuff comes from, at least my schooling background. But I found that when you do social work and mental health, that there's not a lot of money in it. And a lot of times they have overworked caseloads and there's not enough support there. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be honest, I really enjoyed that job, but I was looking for something else. Long story short, I got my second OWI. So I was fired from that job and was forced to look elsewhere. And so this corporate front desk job fell in my lap almost immediately. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to take this and see where this goes. Turns out I did really well in that position. And within three years, I was in the regional customer service, regional sales manager for a corporate manufacturer, production manufacturer. I wasn't like on the line, but handling big 
corporations, multi-million dollars. And while I enjoy problem solving and helping people fulfill their needs, I was constantly putting out fires. It was a totally reactive position versus being proactive. And the phrase used most commonly was, that's how we always do things. I'm like, yeah, but I feel like we're all insane standing around, beating our heads against the wall, doing the same thing, hoping for different results, you know, and it was, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And there's so much BS politics when you get into that upper level management of corporate, you know, it's say one thing, but do another or having real conversations, real, genuine, authentic conversations with people is non-existent because everybody's so fearful that they're going to lose their job. And it was an entirely fear-based community corporation. And I just, it started to wear on my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health. I mean, days I would wake up, I'd be like in tears and I'm like, God, there's no way that I worked so hard to not be on this terrible path to now I'm here and I'm just as unhappy. Yeah. But you I know, have all the things. Right. You have all, all the things that you think society will says that you have in the right time in your life like oh this age you should have this right but it's not you're not truly really happy you can't you're not being yourself one of the things that you said about oh this is how it's always been done i really hate that saying and you know it's like because if i see change that could be done why not work on it right i mean it's just like why keep trying to do the same thing if you're it's obviously not working so i don't like that either i mean in the medical field too i mean it's just like let's be innovative and think like new terms, new ways, right? So I'm all for that. Change is a good thing. I mean, it is, but change is also very scary for people who have been stuck in their ways for 20, 30 years. A lot of the people that I worked with in that area were, you know, middle, upper age, white collar. Is, is it white collar men? I guess I don't even know how you would say it, but you know, I was this young buck coming in and just kind of flipping everything on its and they were just not happy about it. They're like, no, do things this way. And I'm like, ugh. and that's why things aren't improving because nobody wants to change. So. Yeah, I know. Ugh. So what is the secret in 2006? What did you learn from your psychology professor? What's so impacted your mindset and changed your life? So I was a junior at the University of Northern Iowa, and I was taking one of my psychology classes with one of my psych professors. And at that time, the movie and the book, The Secret, had come out. And so she had went to this seminar and like watched this thing. And so within that class, she had us read the book, and she had us watch the video, and then she had us do vision boards. And I thought this was all just totally crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this, you know, this is, is what I was telling myself at the time. But I'm like, hey, whatever, I'll make a stupid vision board. I'll cut some things out of a magazine and board, you know, for so, an A, whatever. I don't think all, a lot of my listeners know what a vision, can you describe what a vision board is? So a vision board, at least in the sense that the first one I did, you would grab some sort of copy paper or poster board, something like that. And whatever visions you have for yourself within that year, within five years, within 10 years, you would cut out those images within a magazine and place them on the poster board to bring that vision to your awareness on a daily basis. So let's say that, you know, like every day I have, a, I still have a vision board to this day. So, you know, on your vision board, you would have things like travel, the places that you want to travel, a certain, a specific car that you want, a certain type of house you want, the size of family you want, what type of 
you know, body you're working for. It's just to bring a visualization to what your goals, hopes, dreams, wants are so that you have a visual of what you're working towards. And so they say what, you know, what you think about you manifest. And so it's just keeping it in the forefront of your mind. So you're constantly thinking about it instead of just wishing, hoping, praying, you're actually seeing it, thinking about it and working towards it consciously and subconsciously, you know? So there's tons of tutorials on vision boards on YouTube also. If somebody's looking for additional resources, type in how to create a vision board in YouTube. You'll find yeah. great, great resources. So, so yes. Oh, go ahead. Okay. She asked us to do this vision board and she brought like a whole box of magazines and said, you know, pick 10 to 15 things that you would like to complete in the next year. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know, going through and just kind of picking things that had appealed to me at that time. And I kid you not, like a year later, everything happened that I had picked on that board. And you know, it had kind of sparked this interest in the whole law of attraction, you know, what you think about you manifest into reality. And I found it fascinating. It was almost like magic to me. And so I've been, you know, practicing and working with the law of attraction since since then, really. (laughs) I love that. Where do you think self-doubt comes from? Lots of areas. I think it comes from if you failed and haven't been properly shown how to fail, if you have certain parents who don't know how to support you to overcome those self-doubts, if you have people who put you down, if you've been bullied, if you didn't get that job, I mean, it's society, I mean, I think self-doubt comes from everywhere. And you look at social media, you look at the news, you look at any kind of media, and there's this picture-perfect version of what you're supposed to be, and it's unattainable. And so I think it sets people up to not feel like a real human or like they're worthy because they don't fit this mold. And so I think it starts from a very young age. I mean, I even remember my sister being like a five-year-old saying that she's fat, you know, like who does that? That's, right. that's insane to me. How do you even know what that is? <laughs> you know, yes. what I'm like, oh man. And you know, self-doubt also, what do you think about failure? Like, is it, if you go through more failures in life, that could be a good thing or... I feel like there's a certain way of failing. So like, and I'm going to reference roller derby. Okay. So I played roller derby for about five years and they teach you how to fall appropriately. So you don't hurt yourself. And so you're able to get back up and continue playing the game. Now, had we not taken, you know, safety measures to teach you how to fall, because it's going to happen. You're going to fall. Just like in life, you're going to fail. It is going to happen. There is no such thing as perfectionism. And so setting those people up to, okay, if you fail, pick yourself back up and try again. Versus if you fail, spiraling into like this negative, like can't do this, I wasn't meant for this. And just learning the lesson in it and applying that lesson to either figure out one, is this something that I really want to do? And two, if it is, okay, I learned one way how not to do it. How do I get back up and keep proceeding? You know, and I think at again, at a very young age, you know, if you don't pass a test, you're a failure and and you only get like one chance to try. Or, you know, if you don't make the team, you're a failure. You only get one chance to try. And and, uh, I just... I feel like if we just teach people that failure is okay and it's inevitable and it's up to you to just get back up and and get that, you know, build that thick skin, that grit, that determination and figure out what's important to you and just go after it no matter what. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, because if you build that early on and if anything comes later, I feel like you're better equipped to be like, oh, okay. Like if you, you already know a failure may happen. So you already know that, okay, I already am going to pick myself up like I did last time. I mean, many, you know, when you take these standardized exams, you may have to take them a few times to get into grad school or whatever, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because later on in life, like who knows what that experience that you went through might've been the hardest thing back then, but now looking back, it's not that bad, but it prepared Mm -hmm. you for your next, you know, failure or something in life that happens, right? Yes. And, and really just creating and, and thinking of every failure as a learning experience and that it's just going to happen. You know, like I'm a therapeutic writing instructor, which means that I use equine therapy to help people become more confident in their abilities or disabilities or however you want to look at it. And I have been riding horses, kid you not, since I've been like six years old. Wow. That is so awesome. Yes. And I, I love horses. Take- <laughs> oh yeah. I have four horses. Of oh, I love them. That's awesome. And I, I still work at, a, I still work and teach at a barn part-time, a nonprofit local barn in town, but I kid you not, I had been riding for years, for years. And I psyched myself out so bad before I had to take this. Cause you have to do like certain riding patterns and certain riding tests. I failed the test. I failed. I had been riding at that time for 20 years. And I failed the test because of my mental space that I was in. I was comparing myself to people that were going before me. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I went out there and I acted like a total idiot and didn't know what I was doing. Totally psyched myself out. And so I failed though. And I had to go back and I had to retake it because it was something that I was passionate about. And I had to get in the right headspace and say, how can I learn this lesson and move forward? So the next time I went and took the test, I went first. I was like, yep, me, pick me. I'll go first because then I'm not going to compare myself to anybody. And guess what? I passed it with flying colors. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I actually come to now love failure. I, yes. I, I did that. But I mean, I remember, well, I know this is a smaller failure, but in seventh grade, I didn't make the basketball team. And man, I was crying in the locker room. And then like the next year, you know, I made the eighth grade team because it was a different school system. And then in ninth grade, I made varsity. And like, that's a big deal to make it varsity, you know, as a freshman. And oh, I yeah. just remember practicing so much every summer, like after I didn't make it that it just gave me this fire inside me. And it like then translated into school. That doesn't matter if I, okay, if I didn't get what I needed on this test, I'm like, whatever, I I will still become what I want to become at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what path I take. I'll figure it out. If it takes a few more years, whatever. So, and that's, yes. And I love that. And that's where that grit and that determination is. And, you know, I, I don't, the phrase that I always say is there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Like just because that there's this path and I learned that, okay, that wasn't successful for me. I'm going to reroute. I'm going to detour. I'm not just going to stop in the middle of the road and, you know, be like, oh, well, I'm stuck here for the rest of my life. No, I'm going to reroute myself. I'm going to take a detour and I'm still going to find a way to make it happen. Yep. And how has mentorship, like for me, at least like having mentors when I did need help, like when I didn't get the way path, maybe I wanted to, that they helped me kind of, um, did you have mentors along the way and how important is really networking and finding mentors? I say now finding mentors and having coaches and people who can, you know, support you and hold you accountable is, oh, there's not words. But if you would have asked me that same question five or 10 years ago, I would have answered completely different because asking for help was one of the hardest things that I have ever had to do in my life. And I know that this stems from being a young child. You know, my parents got divorced. I didn't really have anybody to rely on, you know, after being 10 years old, if we, if we wanted something, you had to figure it out. 
And so I just always took on all of that responsibility and people looked up to me as, you know, a leader. And so when I thought about asking for help, I thought people would think I was worthless, you know, like, oh, if Sasha can't figure it out, then who is she, you know? And so I never asked for help. I just, you know, put my head down and I got to work and I, you know, I would ask questions and things like that. But I would say that I wouldn't really allow a mentor into my life until I got really, really stuck about, yeah, about three or four years ago, five years ago, probably. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I had kept trying all the things, but I still felt stuck. And one of the phrases I use now is you don't know what you don't know. And so that's what's where there's beauty in a mentor or a mentorship. Because if you can hire somebody or work with somebody, and I guess it doesn't even have to be like hire, like you can just find people out there who have what you want and ask them how they did it. It's going to get you a path of least resistance instead of sitting there banging your head against a wall saying like, I can't do this. I'm a failure. Like, why can't I figure this out on my own? And so I had to get over my own pride to ask for help. But I'm telling you, it was so hard, but I have made leaps and bounds since getting over myself and just asking people for help. Yeah. And as soon as you realize that, you know, don't listen to people who don't have what you want or where you want to be, but like, you know, seek that mentor, whether it's a business mentor, someone where, you know, a position you want to be in medicine or whatever it is, like, don't be afraid to ask for help. I mean, it's actually very humbling, like, you know, to ask for help and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong about it. And it actually shows your courage that you're courageous. So I love that word. <laughs> that's one of my favorite words. It's funny. I have a conference coming up this week. Yeah. It's the courage conference. Cause I just yes. love that word courage. So yes, I do too. Yeah. So what other passions? So you like, or you love horses. What other passions do you enjoy doing outside of all your other? <laughs> oh goodness. I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie for sure. I'm always trying to find the next thing to get my heart racing. So I have a couple motorcycles. I have horses. I did roller derby for about five years till I started, st until I started having children. It's frowned upon to skate when you're pregnant. So <laughs> just, just teasing. But for really, those like safety measures, I don't play roller derby anymore. I love to travel. You know, I, I snowboard on I try to go snowboarding every time, every winter. I've done surfing. I've done gosh, just about everything. I've flown planes. I've cliff jumped. I mean, parasailing. I don't know. You Have you it, wait, did you say you jumped it. out of a plane? No, I've flown a plane. I haven't jumped okay. out. Skydiving is on my list. I was actually going to do it a couple years ago. And when we yeah. set the appointment to do it, I found that I was pregnant. <laughs> so That's I know my husband wants me to do that, man. That's definitely going against your fears, man. <laughs> I know. I can't wait for the day that I can do it. I'll probably, you know, freak out the whole way up until I actually do it. But I don't know. Something just seems so freeing about free falling through the air. Maybe that's just crazy talk, but it sounds just <laughs> amazing to me. <laughs> no, I mean, it probably is. I mean, for after, once you're like in the air, but that like initial jump, <laughs> I probably would need someone to like throw me. Like, I know. Push me. Can you just push me push out? Me, so that yeah. I'm and I'll close my eyes and just push me out and... <laughs> You know, with all that you've kind of gone through in the past 10 years or, you know, with your experiences with changing just your mindset and how you go about life, how do you define success now? Success, it, it's a hard to, I feel like that's so hard to define. But now I would say success is doing the things that I enjoy and, and making money doing it. Because success to me before was climbing this ladder 
based on other people's expectations or it was a certain dollar amount, right? And then I would get that dollar amount and I'm like, why do I feel empty? You know, and so success to me now is impacting lives and, you know, like I have a thing on my board and I'm like, how many women can I help this year? How many people can I help this year? How many, you know, that's more or less how I determine my success is by my reach. Mm-hmm. Your influence and your reach and how many women or, you know, how many can you actually impact, right? Yes. What obstacles did you encounter or are you encountering as you are building your business? I would say for me, it's a lot of strategy stuff. I was totally anti-social media. I was anti, like I've only had Instagram for a year. Like I've had a Facebook page for I think a couple years. You know, I was very anti-social media. I didn't want people to like be in my life in that sense. But then I would go out there and like speak on stage or I'd like talk about these other things. So definitely being like an online business owner, I would say that putting myself out there in the online world has been very challenging, learning the strategy behind it, you know, what people want to say or what you think people want to hear or what you say or how often you say it, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in that comparison game. And I've done it several times when I first started social media or, you know, like, posting for business purposes, I'll say. I was like, why did I even try this? Like, this sucks. I hate this. But then, you know, it's that, that it's distraction, right? And so it just, it was a challenge in, in the sense of like, okay, Sasha, rein it in, stay in your own lane, focus. This is just an obstacle. You know, there can be tons of people who do the same thing you do, but people will be attracted to you based on your personality, your experiences, what you say, how you say it, how you go about helping people. And just because somebody else calls himself a confidence coach doesn't mean that there's not enough in the world for both of us. So changing from that, you know, that lack mindset to that abundance mindset was kind of a big obstacle for me, I'd say. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the lack mindset and abundant mindset is so important because there's enough for everyone out there. And it's just so important to the more you give out, you know, you'll get back. It's like, you know, it's exactly it. And anytime I feel that lack set in now, I'm like, who can I help? How can I serve people? How can I do this? How can I, you know, instead of sitting here like, ah, poor me, looks like I'm just gonna have to sit with this and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, how can I shift this? Because when you And I don't mean give from a place of like, give, 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 give until you're burnt out. But like, how can I serve others? How can I impact this person? How can I make this person smile today? How can I literally a smile can change somebody's entire day. So, you know, I'm that crazy person that just walks around and I'm like smiling and like, hi, how's it going? How are you? How are you? And then when people start to smile back, like it changes my mindset. And I'm like, oh gosh, okay. So like, now I feel better selfishly, but now they all feel better too, you know? Yeah, no, totally. It's reciprocal. Totally. What do you think you were talking about social media? How important is it in an online business to be vulnerable? Like the word vulnerability for, you know, your followers and listeners to get to know you. I'm really triggered by the word vulnerability because I feel like there's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, be vulnerable. And then they're like, oh, look at this zit on my face. I'm like, oh my God, get over yourself. Like that's, I mean, maybe to some people that's vulnerability, but to me, that's not vulnerability. I like to say, share things as the scar heals, not when you have an open wound or not when you have a scab. So after you learn the lesson, the scar heals, you have something to show for it be vulnerable and talk about that stuff. And I talk about this stuff all the time. You know, if people go back and look at, you know, my feed or my podcast or my blogs, like all of these things, like I'm like, yeah, this happened, but this is what came out of it. And I think when people can 
see you as you are, failures, successes, black, white, good, bad, ugly, whatever it looks like, it makes you more relatable as a human and makes them want to invest in you even more. Like we're in an era of, we're, I shouldn't say we're in an era of, you know, because it's all about relationship building and networking, right? But 10, 15 years ago, people were like, hey, I have this offer, $99 special, blah, 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 blah. Like that worked then. That does not work now. Like that totally turns off people. And we're, we're coming back into this sense of humanity, this sense of community and connection. Like we're all craving connection. Like the more we use social media, the more we crave that interaction with one another. And so just showing up and being like, this is my life, I think is super important. Yeah. Totally. Would you consider yourself ambitious? And if so, why? (laughs) I'm very ambitious. And I think (laughs) it stems from, I'm always one that wants to serve just causes. So I feel like there's a lot of individuals out there who suffer unnecessarily. And that just, that drives me insane to feel like people are suppressed or they don't feel worthy or they don't feel like they can do something. And then I think a lot of it is... (laughs) It's because I had to be ambitious when I was younger. If I wanted to go out for sports, I had to go bust my ass and make sure that I could afford those basketball shoes because my parents could not afford it. You know, at 12 years old, I'm like hustling. How can I make money? Because if I'm not out there doing something for it, nobody's going to do it for me. You know, so at a very young age, I found that if I'm not making things happen in my life, nobody is going to just make them happen for me. Awesome. I love that. So, you know, I could keep asking you questions about confidence, but one last question about what your morning routine is and what's a ritual or affirmation that you're, that's like ingrained that you do every single day. So my morning routine, I'm a a. 5am-er. I'm one of those 5am club people now, and I never used to be. If you would have told me that (laughs) when I was younger, I'd have been like, hell no. (laughs) But I'm a a a. 5am-er now because it's quiet and it's my zone of genius time. It's my creative time. You know, so I get up about five, between five and 5.30, I do some journaling. I do some meditation. Between, you know, 5.30, I do the visualizations, the affirmations, and then I start my, my yoga, my yoga series. And so I actually built my morning routine off of the savers program by Hell Elrod. It's called the miracle morning. I think they have a book for any type of profession out there. I just read the basic miracle morning and that's been a huge game changer to me. And my journaling looks like this. You know, I set my intentions for the day. I usually pick a word that, you know, resonates with the day. So like today was focus. You know, like I really need to focus to be productive and, and not shiny object syndrome, you know, like squirrel brain, like, oh, there's distractions everywhere. So today my word was focus. How can I stay more focused throughout the day? And so I write my intentions around that. And then I do gratitude and I do anywhere from like five to 10 things that I'm grateful for. I try not to do any repeats and I try to relate to things that I will be doing today. So like my mom is in town and I'm like, you know, and she lives eight hours away. So I'm like, I'm grateful that my mom was able to travel here safely and be part of this holiday weekend or this event that I'm putting on, you know, and things like that. And so it gets in a gratitude mindset. And then my affirmations, the one that I say every day is I am worthy for a really long time. I felt unworthy of everything. I was like, who am I to do this? Who am I to do that? Or I'm just this or I would tell myself really, really, I would say things to myself and I would do things to myself, like horrible, horrible things to myself. And so the thing that I have to tell myself every day is, you know, you are here for a reason and you are worthy. 
I love that. Oh, yoga. Do you do that at home? Yes. I go to a place. There's two places in town that I try to go to a couple, two, three times a month and hit up their classes. I was really routine about it last year, but now I don't know if it's just like the pregnancy or what, but like I've just made it like part of my morning routine and just but do like a 20, 30 minute practice every day. Is it on YouTube or, or you just have them? You have it. You don't have to watch, right? Nope. I do too. So there's one on the Beachbody app. I think it's called three week yoga retreat or something okay. like that. So I've done that one. And then there's another girl it's on YouTube and this is free videos. And this one is yoga with Adrian and she's got a ton of yoga videos on there. So oh, like, awesome. it's funny because the one that I did this morning, she has a yoga for self doubt. And it's funny, even <laughs> like this level of confidence, you know, every now and then I'm like, Oh, can I really pull this off? And so my yoga routine this morning was the self-doubt routine. <laughs> well, I actually want to start doing it at home now because I'm trying to like, I used to do hot yoga, but I can't do that because I'm pregnant too. So, yep. you know, but I do spinning and, you know, strengthening, but I need to be doing more flexibility in yoga. So <laughs> I think I have it like at home, like there's like app that we have on the TV that has like all sorts of different workouts that come with it. I don't know, something so, yeah. There's tons of really good ones out there. I've, I mean, if you just about anything on YouTube, but I found that this yoga with Adrian, I found her a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. and I've really enjoyed her yoga routines. But yeah, I, I really get into yoga when I'm pregnant, like, cause I did it with my daughter too. And I think it is, it's like the, the mindfulness and like calming yourself, but also like the stretching and the flexibility. And then, you know, cause <laughs> it's a totally different type of strength and flexibility because me I was really into CrossFit until I found out that I was pregnant you know so I I was always like heavy lifting and like let's yeah. do gladiator races yeah. and let's run and do all these things and I'm like okay rein it in you can't do that stuff quite yet so <laughs> yeah totally I know I hate it I love hit training but I had to say no to that so nope I hear you. Do you have any final words for my Millennial Doc listeners? Where can they find you, possibly learn more about you? And then, of course, you said you're excited about your conference, but anything else that you're excited about after that that you want to share? Yes. So Confidence Academy 2.0 will be coming out June 1st. This is a revamped version of my original Confidence Academy. It's a six-month coaching program, so be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, I have a free Facebook group. You can put the link in the show notes. It's called Badass Village. Basically, it's just teaching you to be a badass in all areas of your life, you know, in life and business and your sales conversations and your relationship building, teaching you how to overcome that fear, use that fear as a compass rather than running away from it and building that confidence muscle again, in all areas of your life. You can find me on Instagram at Sasha.Davis on Facebook at Sasha L. Davis. I Apparently someone thought they needed to be Sasha Dot Davis, so that one was taken. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can find me over on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and the Confidence Coach Podcast over there. So Awesome. So if you guys found any value and, you know, share what you love, share what you've learned, tag us both in your stories or anywhere on social media, just, or text someone if you learned something that may help them, you know, and go check out her podcast, The Confidence Coach. So thank you so much for sharing your story and how, you know, your backstory and then how you are now helping other women with confidence. So I loved having you. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. I had tons of fun. This is awesome. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Millennial Doc Podcast. I am so thankful for your support and hope you receive inspiration today to discover a better you, better health, and your best life. It would mean the world to me if you can take a second to share this episode with someone you think would love it. 
For free resources and inspiration, head over to drnicoletta.com and make sure to follow Millennial Doc Podcast on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes. And you would mean so much to me if you left a five-star review of the show. As always, step out with confidence and rock your life.